welcome to LifeBridge Church, everybody. How's everyone feeling? We doing all right? It is great to see you and to be here with you all this morning. I've really been looking forward to our time together. And if you've been with us over the past month or so, then you know that whether you've been gathering with us online or you've been here in person, we have been in the middle of this collection of conversations where we've been discussing the anxiousness and the stress that we face and fight in this life, and we have called that collection Mindfield. Some people were like, Mindfield? That just seems intense. I was like, Mind, it's a play on words. It's okay. You're, you're hopeless, right? And so, um, Mindfield. And it's finally coming to a conclusion. I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like we've been in it a minute because I'm telling you, the Lord will take you through the things that he makes you talk about as a church. And it's been uh, hopefully something that's been soothing for a weary soul, though. Uh, that's been my prayer for you, that as we've gone through this, this has been something that uh, has really helped in a lot of different ways and might be something that you feel like you can come back to as an encouragement in the midst of those anxious and chaotic times in life. And so I was thinking, though, uh, when you've been talking about some really difficult things over the course of many weeks, how do you just stop that? Like, how do you come to a conclusion in that? And I don't think there's a better way for us to bring this collection to a conclusion than to discuss the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I know that many of us uh, probably don't want to be this open this quickly into the message. It usually takes like 20-ish minutes. Uh, but I don't know about you, but for me, I can find myself griping about the problems that are going on in my life so often that I will end up completely forgetting or even worse, ignoring the eternity that we are walking towards in the kingdom that's here and now. And so we all know that we've got things that we're dealing with, but let's talk about the hope that we have so we don't forget those things that are in front of us. And so if you would, meet me in Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, beginning in verse 18, we're going to go all the way through verse 24 here together this morning, and uh, what I really want to focus on is a word in this text that we're going to read together, and it's the word, yet. Yet is a word that is filled with hope, and we see that all throughout the scripture. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded against the house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. In Psalm 106, it says, our ancestors in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wondrous works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his namesake to make his power known. Has anybody in here got a life that's absolutely perfect? I doubt it. And yet, your life is worth living. Anybody in here that's not had to deal with the anxiousness or stress of this life? Absolutely not. And yet we are here and we are filled with hope. And so Romans chapter four, beginning in verse 18, I wanna read and then we'll pray and jump in. Does that sound good to everybody? Yes. We alive here at 11 o'clock? <laughs> Love it. I'm telling you, I'm a little fired up this morning. We got revival happening in a lot of places. I'm like, once that hits the church, it's at universities right now, and that's awesome. Once the church catches flame, look out. So here we go. Romans chapter four, verse 18 says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Anybody in here believe that God has the power to do what he has promised? It says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Will you pray with me? Well, Father, thank you for every single individual that finds themselves gathered in this place physically with us or finds themselves gathering online as well. Lord, I pray that you move in a way today where we truly do make room for you. And Lord, let that not be something that we decide later on in our time together, but right now, would we just take a moment and just allow you to make space and to clear out those things in our minds that are taking up any kind of position that should be filled with our love and our joy and the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Father, I ask that as we continue in the few moments we have together today that they would stay with us because, Lord, this is not a hope that we experience just in the here and now, but it's something that echoes on into eternity. And so, Father, would you do what only you can do in this place this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1975, uh, the American jazz piano savant, Keith Jarrett, was performing a tour across Europe, and one of his stops was at the Cologne Opera House in Germany, and the young concert promoter that was tasked with really getting the news out there about this concert and was kind of in charge was a 17-year-old girl named Vera Brandis. Now, the thing you gotta understand about Keith Jarrett is that he is an obsessive perfectionist, right? He is super, super into what kind of uh, instrument he's playing. He wants it to be perfect, detailed, according to the ways that he has in his mind. You need to grasp that, and you need to be able to make that into a reality. And so he had requested a very specific grand piano, but he was about to be in for a little bit of a shock. Because when Keith and his manager pulled up to the venue just a little bit early to inspect what they were working with, they were like, this is great, love this, this is fantastic. But things got awkward really quick when they wheeled out the piano that they had for him to play that evening. Because not only was it not the piano that he had asked for, it wasn't even a grand piano, it was a baby grand piano, and it was an absolute train wreck of a baby grand piano. The black notes didn't work. Not like sometimes work, like, like, like pretty much did not work. The pedals were sticking. It was making these really awful noises. And to make matters worse, Keith Jarrett had to drive all the way through the night. He and his manager pulled an all-nighter, and he was dealing with this excruciating back pain. And so Keith Jarrett, as he goes into this concert, has very little sleep, very little health. Now he's got this trash piano that he's expected to play. And so he just looks this young girl in the face and is like, that is the just cutest darn thing you ever did see, that you thought I was gonna play this piano. That ain't happening. It's not gonna happen. And when you're 17, what do you do? She's panicking. And so she called around and figured, hey, there's no way I'm gonna get the piano that he wants in here today, not in this short of amount of time. And so she calls a piano tuner. Piano tuner comes in, looks at the piano. He's like, God couldn't resurrect this thing. And so they're just stuck with this piano. And she's just like, I don't know what to do at this point. And so she did what all of us would do. She begged. 
She just begged. And Keith Jarrett was anxious and, to put it mildly, discouraged at the prospect of playing this trash piano in front of this live audience that's bigger than this room right now. And reluctantly, though, he ended up agreeing because he felt so bad for this young girl that was just a wreck over the fact that she had messed this up. And he didn't go out there until 11.30 at night, and he did so with a back brace for his pain, but he played his heart out. I mean, this baby grand piano was so small, it was difficult to generate enough volume to be able to fill the room. And so he would stand up and slam down on the keys, avoid the broken ones, and he ended up delivering one of the most historic performances in human history, so historic, in fact, that it is considered one of the greatest musical performances in all of human history. And it became a best-selling album in multiple categories, solo jazz piano album, and best-selling just piano album of all time at the time. And I'm telling us that because against all hope in a train wreck of an operation, in hope of a redeemable outcome, they believed. I mean, there was nothing that made any logical sense about looking at this broken piano in front of them as he's putting on a back brace to go out there that evening that made them think, you know what, Keith, this just could, in fact, might be one of the greatest musical performances in history. Could end up being a best-selling album in multiple categories. Who knows? Get out there, son. Like, it didn't seem like that. Everything about that situation was awful, It was like this was a get-through-it situation and hope that you're a little bit the same on the other side. And yet, something completely different ends up happening. We see that the miraculous takes place. I mean, the day was distracting. This man's back is broken. This piano is pathetic. And yet, in the seemingly impossible, the miraculous takes place. And what's really fascinating to think about is that if Keith Jarrett would have been given the piano that he had requested, then he never would have ended up playing the way that he played and he would not have seen the success that he has seen. He played the way that he played and he's seen the success that he has seen, not in spite of the hopeless circumstances that he was dealt, but because he clung to hope in the midst of these hopeless circumstances. And I think we've all been there before. Can I get a witness in here? Got any saints in the room that could say? I mean, is there anybody in here where you've ever felt like your life, it's just anything that can go wrong is going wrong? Where you just feel like hopelessness surrounds you and you don't think there's anything good that could come out of that? You ever been there before? I know we got some people in the room and we got some people that are watching online and you're anxious and discouraged because you feel like you're looking around at your life and the piano that God gave you to play is this trash piano where it's like the black notes are broken, the pedals are sticking, it'll make these awful noises. And you're anxious because you envisioned more for your life and you're like, God, there's no way I can do the things I feel like you called me to do with this piano, what's going on? And I'm here to tell somebody today that God loves to play beautiful music on broken pianos and that in Jesus Christ, we see the redemption of broken notes and sounds of a new song. That that's what God does when you find yourself dealing with hopelessness right here and right now. That as we cling onto hope in the seemingly hopeless, that's where we see a deep forging and refining work in our faith. And that's what we see from Abraham. Abraham would tell us that. Abraham and Sarah are going through a really difficult circumstance. 
one that some of us in the room maybe are familiar with, but they're going through something incredibly brutal, and we see that here in verse 18. Romans chapter four, verse 18 begins and says, against all hope, tough start. Against all hope. What would indicate when you say against all hope? What does that mean? There's a lot going on here. There's a prolonged struggle. This isn't something that's like, man, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. It's been not even a year. It's been years of this struggle where Abraham and Sarah have been dealing with infertility where they have been incapable of having children because Sarah's womb is barren, and yet God promises this couple, you will have descendants as numerous as the stars, and at the chronologically superior ages of 190, they welcome their firstborn child, Isaac. And so it says here in verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. In this circumstance, there is no logical reason to be believing for children. And some of you might be in that circumstance right now. But in this circumstance, there is no logical reason to be believing for children at all, and yet we see in this hopeless circumstance, against all hope in a natural way of becoming pregnant, Abraham, in hope, believes in God's supernatural promise that they will become pregnant. Now, here's, here's the reality. I don't know about you, and maybe I shouldn't be uh, this honest about the way that I feel when I read scripture sometimes, but I'll read stuff and I'll be like, that must be great. That must be great, Abraham. I, I wish God would just drop out of the ceiling here and just say, hey, that strong struggle you're going through, that one, that exact one, that's the one. I just wanna bring a little clarity to it for you, and I wanna let you know that isn't always gonna be that way. Have a good day, and just be like, all right, that's what I was looking for, love that. And does God always do that? Does God always make it super clear to you that the thing that you're struggling with the most is just gonna be gone someday and you're good and it's not gonna be a big deal. No, he doesn't always do it like that. That's not the way that things always transpire at all. And yet what I'd say to you is keep praying and keep believing that God is capable of making it happen because here's another difficult thing that we never consider sometimes whenever we read the scriptures is we think, man, I wish God would just do that for me. Do you? Do I? Do I wish that as I've been dealing with this struggle, God says to someone who's been struggling with infertility for a while, hey, I gotta tell you something. You're gonna have descendants as numerous as the stars. You'd be like, oh, give me a break. Don't patronize me. But then even if you believed it, let's say you just took it in faith and you were like, awesome, thank God, this is amazing, seriously, thank you. Uh, like, let's move on from here. But then it takes one year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. How would you struggle through that? Like, hey, is this ever gonna actually happen? And it does it ends up happening because they keep believing that God is not gonna go back on his word. Just because something hasn't happened in your life yet doesn't mean that the miracle's not already in motion. Keep praying and believing that God is capable of doing that. In this house, we've seen this miracle take place this very year. There are things that God is doing that we can't even begin to see and we can't even fathom, and yet he's moving. And it's very often that our obedience will meet God's providence there. And one of the things that I love about our faith is 
one of the things that people love to knock faith for. Someone knows you're struggling or knows there's something that you're going through and it's not working out the way that you thought, not working out the way that you hoped. And they're like, see, this is why I just, faith doesn't work for me. Things aren't working out for you. And it's like, no, 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 you missed it. Uh, see, our faith is not contingent upon us receiving everything that we want from God. Uh, my faith is not that flimsy. See, my, my faith isn't built culturally the way that your faith and whatever it is that you believe is. I actually believe that God can do the impossible through the unconventional. So sure, maybe it's not happening the way that I thought it was gonna happen, but definitely don't doubt my God. I think he can do it. I believe he can do it. And we see that with Abraham and Sarah here. In verse 19, it says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. There's an obvious awareness here with Abraham. You see that? Abraham is aware, it says, that his body is as good as dead, and he's also recognizing, you know, Sarah isn't looking phenomenal herself. It doesn't feel right to say about a woman, doesn't matter how many years later on it is, you know what I mean? So anyway, so that's like what some of our elders were saying. Obviously, he knew that she didn't look correct either, right? Like, so they know, there's an awareness. Hey, something, something's not good here. And yet it says his faith didn't weaken. That Abraham sees the circumstance. He's aware of what's in front of him, and yet he does not build anxious bitterness upon the problem. He builds his faith and his hope upon the promise of God's word, and it says that his faith was strengthened here. It didn't weaken, that he never finds himself in a position where his faith is just collapsing all over the place because he's built anxious bitterness somewhere where hope and faith could rise. And this is where I lose some people usually in a sermon, right? Because this is where some people are like, I'm out. I'm out on church, man. And I'm definitely out on you. Like, what? We're talking about irrational faith this morning. I mean, this guy has ludicrous faith. I, I walked in here today and I'm not 100% sure God like, likes me. And we're talking about believing for babies post hip replacements. That's what we're doing. That's what you want me to do. Whatever, man, I, like, I, guess, I guess this is gonna land for some people. This is outrageous that you would feel this way. And if you feel that way and you're frustrated and you're discouraged by something like that, let me just say here that when we read this and it says Abraham's faith did not weaken, it doesn't mean that Abraham never ever again in his life had any type of struggles around this at all. Everything was just Jesus dust everywhere. And he was like, life is great, guys. Like, it wasn't like that. We see happening here that Abraham in verse or in Genesis chapter 15 is promised, hey, you guys are going to have a son. And then in Genesis 17, when it's about to be fulfilled, it says that God says to Abraham, hey, Sarah's gonna have a son. Kings and nations are gonna come from her. And Abraham's response in Genesis 17 is, quote, he fell face down and laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man and Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? Now, commentators agree this is not uh, an irreverent response from Abraham. Notice that he falls face down. To fall face down is a posture and a position of worship and of trust. And yet, Abraham is doing what many of us do. 
when it says his faith never weakens, some of us are just like, so am I like a terrible believer? Because I feel like I'm having a tough day. Abraham is not doubting here that what God said can happen. He just can't believe it's gonna happen like this. It's like, was this not gonna happen like 20 years ago? Like, is that is it gonna happen now? Like, I mean, I, I believe you can do whatever you want, God. I'm just, I, I'm struggling because of like the age thing. So I don't know what to do with that. Abraham starts going through a rational checklist, which is what all of us do when we find ourselves in a seemingly hopeless circumstance, right? He's like, okay, okay, um, God said, um, God said this is gonna happen, and I absolutely believe God can do what he said he's gonna do. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm checking the boxes, and I'm like, is Sarah 90? She is, okay, am I 100? Yeah, it's a small thing, her womb is barren. Um, yeah, I guess this is gonna happen. Perfect concoction to see a miracle take place, right? We all can go through that rational checklist when we find ourselves dealing with a hopeless circumstance. Or maybe you don't, but I certainly do. I know that. We've all been there before. And what we see is that in saying that his faith never weakens, it doesn't mean that he never ever struggled again in his whole entire life and things were just amazing. It means that he ultimately was able to doubt his doubts and hold true to the promise of God's word. Uh, it's interesting, I, I'll say this, I'm, I'm not a tree hugger but I ain't a tree hater either, okay? And so sometimes in my free time, when a particular PBS documentary comes around, I will watch it. And um, I don't know if anybody in here is familiar with giant sequoia trees. Anybody ever heard of these things? Do you know what a giant sequoia tree is? Awesome, we'll start a crew, talk to me. Like, how about that, huh? None of you are welcome if you don't love giant sequoias, okay? All right, giant sequoia small group meeting after this. But uh, giant sequoias are crazy, I mean, they're the craziest things I've ever heard of. They're the largest trees in the world. They're not the tallest trees, but I mean, they're, they're also not like short. They get over 300 feet tall, so they're doing okay. But they're, they're the largest trees in the world and they can live for more than 3,000 years. But what blew my mind about these trees was not how large they are or how tall they get. And it wasn't even how long they can live. It was how they grow. Because as I was watching this documentary, one of the experts comes on, and I, which I don't, I don't know what you are in this case, but he's an expert of some kind around trees. And he said, quote, without fire, without fire, trees cannot grow or reproduce. And it was in that moment that I emailed PBS and said, hey, I don't, I don't know what kind of experts you guys have, um, but I'm just here to tell you, I feel like fire and trees aren't usually a good combo. And he continued on and he said, giant sequoias really are born of fire. It gives them three things they need for regeneration. First, it punches a hole in the forest that gives them more light and water for seedlings, duh. The second thing it does is it heats the cones in the mature giant sequoia trees without harming the trees. This helps open the cones up, there's a rain of seeds on the ground, and it finally will clear away all the leaves that build up because giant sequoia seeds need to hit bare mineral soil before they germinate and survive well. And then this cycle path finished up and said, winter storms come in after this, bury the seeds in a blanket of snow, and then when the spring comes, they have ideal conditions, it's warmer, they're wet from the snow, and they're born from the ashes. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the hope of the gospel, right? I'm like, whoa. This man is preaching. I thought he was an idiot. And he's actually on to something. Like, 
If you see a fire in the middle of a forest from the outside, we'd be like, ooh, that is bad news right there. And yet, it's that very fire that's creating new life that will thrive. And can I just tell you, the same thing's true in the life of the believer. Walking with God doesn't mean that we now get to live our lives stripped of all inconveniences and trials. God is not interested in creating fair-weather fans of the gospel that run at the first indication of difficulty. God is committed to developing disciples, sold out followers of Jesus that understand the anxious trials of this life are not meant to take us out of the fight, but to take us deeper in our faith. That as the world watches us go through extreme conditions and people are like, man, you see those people worshiping at Asbury? You see these people going through this? You see those things that are going on? I mean, geez, if there's a fire in the forest of their faith, let's see how they do after that. They're probably gonna walk out of that and they're never gonna be the same. And you know what the answer is? You're right. <laughs> like, that's the point. That's what sanctification is. Like, thank God I didn't walk from here through something difficult and I was like, I am unchanged. That doesn't make any sense. Like, of course there's something different. Of course God's doing a work in me. There's something that he's using through this fire, not to burn me down, but to build me up. And it doesn't make sense to you because you don't understand the grace of God who touches your life through the seemingly impossible. That it is in the seemingly impossible circumstances that God does beautiful work here. God loves to work the impossible through unconventional. And I believe we've got some saints in the room that that could testify and say, hey, it was never the absence of extreme conditions that revealed where my faith was at. It was in extreme conditions that we find our faith is being forged. In the seemingly hopeless circumstances that we find ourselves going through, we recognize we can hold on to peace and we can hold on to hope in the middle of these anxious trials because the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of me confirms what I know to be true, which is that God's promises are true. I don't have a faith built on a flimsy foundation and I don't want one. My faith isn't built on a flimsy foundation. Our faith is a forged faith. My faith doesn't function so long as things are going perfect in my life. My faith flourishes even when things are not going perfect in my life because ultimately my faith is not in an idea or an ideology. It is in a person, in the Son of God who was nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb, but he did not stay there. My faith is in a king that went through the grave, through it. You can't shake me circumstantially. It's not possible. And yet, at the same time, this is where sometimes church folks can seem out of touch. I mean, you can be going through something that's just like absolutely brutal. Like think of the worst thing you could think of. And somebody's like, man, are you doing okay? And you're like, yeah, good, God's good, everything's good, fine, not a big deal. It's just like, uh... That's weird. I don't think we're in a position to where we're being told, hey, you know what? You just need to act like things are fine when they're not. That's not the call. We see that we can very easily find ourselves in circumstances where it absolutely makes sense to go, Lord, I trust you, but why is this happening? I don't like this. I don't like this. And it's usually in those circumstances where we find ourselves being strengthened 
in believing that God's promises are true, that his character is unchanging, that our trust is deepening in him, and that we will find that it's in the complexity of our stories that God is getting the glory. There's something amazing that he's doing here, and we see that in verse 19. It says that Abraham faces the fact that their bodies are as good as dead, and then in verse 20 and 21, it says, yet, yet, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God and was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do all that he had promised. This is a tough one. That as time passes, Abraham's faith is strengthened in the promise. How is that possible? Because the more time that he spent with God, the more faith he had in God. The more time he spends with God, the more faith he has that God is capable of doing exactly what he said he's gonna do. It's interesting, the more that I analyze my own life and in talking with other people, what I find is that we often struggle a whole lot more with God's timing than his testing. Like we all know that testing is required for growth. Nobody really debates that. And it's really just one of those fixed realities in the universe. It's like, hey, if you want your muscles to grow, you gotta put them under strain. Don't talk to me about that. I'm just saying that's what I've heard. Uh, Like, you gotta put them under strain. Like, if you want your kid to walk, you can't carry them everywhere. We will kick you out of the church if you're carrying a kid at a certain age, right? Like, you gotta let them walk. Like, we are at a place where we understand, hey, if you don't want that kid that can't walk to, you know, not be spoiled, well, then you can't give them everything that they want in life, right? There's very few kids where I'm like, they got a Lamborghini for their first car and things were just great after that, right? Like, that's just, that's, that's one of those things we just kind of understand that. But since we understand that testing is something that's needed, we tend to find ourselves putting all of our frustration on God's timing. And we think that God's being really stubborn in his timing when really we're shallow in our trusting. And it's the testing that'll close that gap where we realize that God is who he says he is and he can do the things that he says he can do. Maybe not in the way that I feel like they should happen, but certainly in the way that he knows they ought to happen. And we see that Abraham knows this as well. He experiences his faith being strengthened in struggle because he spends his time in God's presence and his hope is in the promise of God's word. And if we don't do the same, then we'll succumb to the lie that we can't trust God because how do you trust a God who you don't know? Gotta spend time in his presence and time in his word. God loves us too much to allow our faith in him to be shaky and contingent upon us receiving whatever we want in this life. He wants it to be determined devotion rooted in the love and in the character of God. I don't know if you guys have seen this viral video from a few years back, but there was this viral video from the Boston Orchestra. They were finishing out a performance and as they were, there's this young boy in the background. It's like he just can't help himself from saying something. He's so moved by the performance. He just ends up shouting, wow. And I was gonna explain some of it, but I figured, you know what, it's a short video. I'll just go ahead and show it to you. So here it is.
I don't know if you're like an orchestra person, so forgive me. I'm about to make fun of you. Um, <laughs> and I'm really just functioning off the stereotype, so it's whoever started that's fault, not mine. But, you know, when you think about people that like to attend orchestras, it's like we're the stuffy and uptight people who don't get invited to parties. We dress up, we go, we cry about it, and we don't speak anymore probably, right? Like, that's kind of how that goes. And it's funny, you can even like sense like they're going, hey, we don't, you don't talk in the middle of these things. He's a young boy. Do we give him a pass? Yeah, I guess so. And they start clapping and laughing, and you're just like, oh, thank God they're invited to the party. But after this video went viral, people were then curious, hey, who is this boy? We come to find out it's a young boy named Ronan. He was nine years old at the time, and he was at this performance with his grandfather, Stephen. And Finally, a local news affiliate went to try to find him and ask more questions. And they're like, hey, you know, this, this is viral. Like, can you tell us more about Ronan? We don't know anything about him. And he said, I'll tell you this. Uh, the thing that I've had a hard time wrapping my mind around over the past few days is not that this video is going viral. It's the fact that Ronan is on the autistic spectrum and he's nonverbal. He said, I've, on one hand, I can count the times I've ever heard him say anything, let alone something that clear. And I tell us that because in the hopelessness of our circumstances, can God work? You better believe it, that you could be in a circumstance that feels so hopeless that you've never spoken before, and you could very well walk out on the other side of God's promises saying, wow, that you could be here and you could have just been walking out of a doctor's office after a bad diagnosis. You could be going through a rough patch in your marriage. You could be dealing with anxious stress. You could find yourself walking out of a funeral saying, and yet my hope is in the Lord. And yet my hope is in the Lord. I, don't, I am not looking to my circumstances to try to be 100% okay before I'm okay. I'm okay because I know that I have been saved. I have been justified. I'm being sanctified, that the king of glory goes before me. Abraham not only hopes that God is gonna deliver on his promises, Abraham is assuming God would never go back on his word, and he doesn't. God delivers on his promise and God's still delivering on promises. It's interesting in verse 22, it says this is why it was credited to him as righteousness, that it was Abraham's faith that made him righteous, faith in accepting what God has given us in Jesus. By grace through faith, we are made right. We are in right standing with God. And in verse 23 and 24, it says, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also are for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You know, in all the promises that God makes, there's a promise that you see more than 300 times in the Old Testament, that in the midst of a broken humanity, God is gonna send someone, he's gonna send a Messiah, a king, a hero, he's gonna send a savior, and his name's Jesus. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you don't know this to be true already, that God delivered on that promise that he sent his son and that he lived the perfect life that you and I could not and he died the death that we deserved, that Jesus 
willingly gave his life up for you and for me. And nothing in the world looked more hopeless in the history of humanity than when the Son of God and the Savior of the world hung dead upon a cross, but God was fulfilling a promise. And what those soldiers didn't realize is that as they were nailing Jesus to the cross, they were nailing our sins upon our Savior. And that in him, we would have life in his name. Probably the most hilarious verse in all of scripture is that verse where the soldiers and the Pharisees, after Jesus has been crucified and he's buried in the tomb, they go back to Pilate and they're like, hey man, uh, do you remember when the guy that we just buried said he'd like rise in three days? Do you remember that? And he says, go and make the tomb as secure as you can. Most hilarious verse in all of scripture because nothing could stop it. That hopelessness died at the foot of the cross and hope rose out of the grave. And I wanna pray for us this morning before we end up going our separate ways here. And so if you would bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of privacy. And if you're here and you're like, you know, I've. I've heard stuff like this before, but there's something different about today that there's a work God's doing in me and I'm tired of living without hope. That I don't want that. I wanna be right with God. I wanna repent and confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna turn towards eternal hope. In Jesus Christ, if you're here and you want to receive the salvation that's available to us in Jesus, would you just put your hand up and say, that's me, I wanna put my faith in Jesus for the very first time this morning. Just give it a minute, yeah. We got hands here, we got hands here. Amazing. And if that's you, would you just pray this prayer and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I could not, that you died the death that I deserved. I believe, Jesus, that you were crucified and that your blood covers my sins, past, present, and future, and that you were buried in the tomb for three days, but on the third day, you rose to life and your life gives me new life in your name. And I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. for the rest of us that are here and we're walking through a lot of hopelessness, I wanna remind you of something that God reminded me of. In the middle of our hopelessness, I was reminded of John 5 when Jesus finds this man who has been lame for 38 years, he can't can't walk, can't hardly move. And he's been waiting by this pool, hoping that if he can get to the center of the pool, that that's supposed to have healing powers and he'll be made well. And Jesus walks by the guy and says, do you wanna, do you wanna get well? And the guy says, well, I haven't been able to get well because of this and because of that. And be, I, I haven't been able to get to the center and I can't really move. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. 
I, I didn't ask you why you're not well. I said, do you want to get well? And as we've been going through this collection over the past couple of weeks, I know there are some of us that we haven't taken a moment to come down to the altar to get prayed over by people that are in here that know you, love you, pray for you regularly, even if they don't know you. And as we worship, I just want you to know that Jesus extends a hand and says, hey, do you wanna be made well? Maybe you are hoping to get made well and deal with some of this anxiety. Maybe it's that you are wrestling with putting your faith in Jesus, but let me just say, the altar's open this morning and we've got people I would love to come pray alongside of you, if that's you. Father, would you move in the hopelessness here this morning? That we would be a people who don't put on a show or a front, but are just real and acknowledging that, hey, everything in my life might not be okay, but I'm ultimately okay because Jesus is better than okay. Father, move in this place, move in us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.